Well, if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to our passage in Luke chapter 9. It'll be on the screen behind me, and you can give your attention to the hearing of it if you don't have God's Word with you in, in your lap. But we're in the midst of a series, and I remind you each week, because I realize some people might be visiting us, and it would be good to know what are they doing, what are they talking about. So most recently, we've been highlighting fruit in the Christian life that the Scriptures would tell us, you and me, that we need to bear much of this fruit. This is what we should look like. This is who we should be as a church family. This is who you should be as a Christian, who I should be as a Christian. And so the fruit that we've looked at is worship, that we should be a private and publicly worshiping people, that evangelism and missions should matter greatly to us, We should be the senders of evangelists and the senders of missionaries. And we ourselves should be doing evangelism and perhaps considering missions or short-term missions as we may be able. And then last week we looked at the subject of prayer, public prayer and private prayer, and that Christians should be praying people. That's just who we should be. It should be natural to us to be a praying people. And this morning, we're on schedule to, color, to, to cover fellowship and hospitality. Well, that was my thought on Tuesday when I had to submit my information. And I realized, just like on evangelism and missions, it's just too much to try to say. So though these two things go together like peanut butter and jelly, and we could try to have it as one sandwich, I'm going to spend today on hospitality and next, next week on fellowship. So, for hospitality, Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it, and they followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who needed healing. That is to say, he kept doing what he had been doing, though they thought they were withdrawing to be alone. Then in verse 12, Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to Jesus and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Because we're in a remote place here. Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. And they answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. And about 5,000 men were there. But Jesus said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so, and everyone sat down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls 
of broken pieces that were left over. Let's pray that God would help us understand his word. Lord, these are supernatural events, things like our eyes have never seen. Would you give us eyes to see and to believe and ears that would hear and receive this as good news of who Jesus is and as the kind of call to be the kind of person that he's calling the church to be? And we ask this and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Southern Living Magazine. I have never had a subscription to it, but I'm familiar with it. I've seen it, I suppose, in doctor's offices and dentist offices. I don't know where I know it from. Maybe my mother subscribed to it. I'm not sure. And um, I don't know that it's, if it's popular now. Maybe it's old news and it's been replaced by all the shows on TV. So maybe just think of shows you've seen on TV about food and entertainment. My memory of Southern Living Magazine is of picturesque, perfect settings of living rooms, patios, gardens, just the kind of stuff that would make a certain people drool over the hope of having that for themselves or or creating it for themselves with, with whatever they have, right? You know what I'm talking about. Um, maybe similar to this, and more realistic would be a, a show I have seen on TV. I believe it's called Nailed It. I think it's a cooking show called Nailed It. I think it's Dessert Cakes. I may be getting my details wrong. I didn't research this as much as I should have. So imagine if there were a show called Nailed It and it was about cakes and making these, these beautiful picture-perfect cakes And then they bring in people to try to create that cake themselves, to replicate it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so you have the picture of the professionally made perfect cake that looks like whatever. And then a couple of volunteers who sought to create that in their own ability. And then it's it's pretty comical because there is no comparison between the two things. Right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Go like this. Somebody go like this. Okay. That's helpful. Okay, so Southern Living Magazine nailed it, perfect, picturesque picturesque cakes. And then there's the cake that we make, or there's the patio that we have, or the living room that we have, and there's this huge disconnect. And so my argument would be, how many people has Southern Living ultimately discouraged by having a standard and a bar here that our homes, living rooms, patios, gardens are never going to attain to, right? So I want you to keep that illustration in mind as we talk about hospitality this morning. That there is an impossible standard that could discourage you. But then there's the equipping call that Jesus has for you. And though His standard is high, His use of you and of me is very great, very great. Okay, so what is Christian hospitality? Well, what it's not. It is not Southern living, picture-perfect, self-promoting or affirming entertainment. Now, some of you grew up in a, in a 
bygone era where families would talk about entertaining. We're going to have people over and we're going we're to put on an impressive show. And we're entertaining them. Okay, I grew up in a family that probably did more entertaining than hospitality. And I was talking to my sister about this this week, and she explained it this way. She said, you know, I think entertainment probably looks like this. You get through the meal and being in the environment where the meal is had, and at the end of that, people who are providing the entertainment, their wheels are already turning about, okay, it's time to clean dishes. It's time to get up and get away from the table. It's time to flip the page. We've entertained. It's over. Whereas hospitality, my sister suggested, it's probably more like the table where, ah, the dishes can stay in the sink. Conversation is rich. We're hearing about these people, hearing their stories. We're enjoying them. Never mind the mess. It's about the people. Do you understand that distinction? So, so Southern living, if we can poke at our own culture for a moment, maybe Southern living and the image of entertaining is similar looking to hospitality, but lacks the real roots or the real DNA of Christian hospitality. So I make those distinction, distinctions this morning because I don't want you to think I'm talking about entertaining and Southern hospitality. This morning, I really am talking about Christ, Southern uh, entertainment. This morning, I'm talking about Christian hospitality and how Jesus might use that as a very effective means of ministry for each of us to have in the lives of one another and in the lives of our neighbors whose names we may not even know right now. So that's what it's not. It's not picture-perfect homes. Um, it's not picture-perfect children uh, who are well-kept and little girls are in dresses with bows in their hair. Uh, my sister and I recalled that we shared a memory of my parents entertaining. So I went to a small private high school. Some of you do this as well. Uh, my dad was the chairman of the board. And we remember that one school night, my parents had the principal and his wife over to entertain them for dinner. Now, I was about this big. I was the youngest. And we were made to parade in front of the principal, who we would see the next day at school. And his wife was our math teacher. We were made to parade to come in and, and to say goodnight and to give them a hug. I remember I'm not a hugger. I think it all began there. <laughs> and, and my sister told me this week as we talked about hospitality, she said, you know what? I remember going to school the next day after hugging her, and I hadn't done my math homework because we were so busy entertaining and helping getting ready. And she said she was mean about it. <laughs> the teacher was mean about it. So there's entertainment, there's hospitality, what we want to strike it's not having the picture perfect. We felt like the Von Trapp children that night, right? So long, farewell, right? Okay, that, didn't, that wasn't us. Didn't feel real. That was entertaining. But real hospitality is in your own space, in your own place, being comfortable in your own skin. 
And it might be throwing a few extra hot dogs in a pot. Or maybe it's making some extra rice. But it was never really just about that. It's about the time with people in the relationship building, the getting to know one another, believing that God is at work, right? He's worked in your life. He's working in other people's lives. Let's hear those stories of God at work. My, wealth, my wife tells the story. So we have sought to practice a lot of hospitality through the years. And she, she reminds me that there was a time years ago where she was told by one of our students something like, Miss Marie, I really like your home. It's not so clean that I feel like I'm not comfortable in it. And she's like, I don't know how to take that. But it is true. Uh, picturesque, perfect settings can be discouraging. Can make you think, oh, my child's going to knock over something. Oh, we've got to get out of here, right? Or um, this place is too clean for me. Versus being yourself in all of your filth. All right, we do want to clean up a little bit, right? We want to be presentable. But being yourself puts people at ease, right? As a child, if you ate on that formal dinnerware, right, the fine china that came out two or three times a year, you remember those meals, but you probably also remember the nervousness of breaking something or doing something wrong. So... What we want to talk about is a real culture of being genuine and sincere. So what is hospitality? What is Christian hospitality? I would suggest it's a ministry of hosting that seeks to gather people purposefully. It seeks to share generously. And it ultimately wants to connect people relationally. Okay, we could say more things, but that's just three for us to consider. It's, it's intentionally gathering people, and it's wanting to share with them generously. And it could be being generous with hot dogs, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, gourmet meal. Uh, maybe it's a special occasion of breaking out great-grandmother's fudge recipe, and you're being generous and sharing that with people. Just in some way, it's being generous and saying, you are welcome. There is a place for you. We want to know you. We want to invite you. Now, one reason we should have this mentality and think like this, we've already heard twice in our service from the Old Testament, from Exodus and from Deuteronomy. Remember, never forget that you yourselves were slaves in the land of Egypt, but the Lord your God delivered you. And so we come from a people who know what it is to have been foreigners and exiles and homeless and treated as if they were unwelcomed. And yet God himself played the part of host and called the people to himself and promised them a land and seed, offspring and blessing. And so we've had one who's modeled being a host for us. And so we should be very sensitive to playing the part of hosts ourselves, not in a way that draws attention to us in an entertainment, but genuine hosting, gathering people, sharing with them, and seeking to connect with them, to build some community of friendships that would be good for all involved. Secondly, hospitality, even Christian hospitality, is a ministry of inconvenience. 
Here's the rub. You know, it's never really convenient to practice hospitality. There's always something else for you to be doing. Um, You could easily deflect any opportunity for hospitality because there's always something else, something more, that you could make a very reasonable argument that you should devote yourself to, right? And so this is where our passage, I could say so much from the passage because it says so much itself, but I'm just going to highlight a few simple things. How it's inconvenient, and it was inconvenient for Jesus to do ministry and to practice hospitality. So the passage from Luke chapter 9 and the feeding of the 5,000, which is just such a wondrous passage, it tells us that ministry and hosting is inconvenient because we might prefer to withdraw and be alone. Now that's literally what's happening in the context of Luke chapter 9. Uh, Jesus and his disciples have been serving. Jesus has been healing. They've been surrounded by crowds. They are tired. They are physically and emotionally tired. They are spiritually tired. And so they agree. Jesus agrees with them. Let's withdraw to a solitary place. Okay? That's, you understand that. You and I are the same way. Uh, it's time to withdraw and escape and have just a little bit of me time, right? That's how we say it. But the passage says the crowds realized they were withdrawing. They followed them to the place or beat them to the place where they were going. And the ministry goes on. There is no withdrawing. There is no rest. And so it's inconvenient to Jesus. And it's inconvenient to their disciples, to his disciples, and they know it. And the passage lets us know that they know it, right? Um, They're like, oh, come on. But what does Jesus do? In our own language, we would say Jesus just rolls with it. He's like, okay, the people are here. Uh, let's, Let's just keep doing what we were doing. And after more healing and more ministry, um, the disciples are now more hungry and are more tired. And verse 12 tells us that. But of course, they very cleverly say, you know, the crowds are hungry and tired. We should probably send them on their way. Now, we've all been like that with company in our homes. And sometimes it's very appropriate, right? Look at the hour. It's time to close up shop. Well, that's what the disciples are doing here. Oh, we're in a remote place. Uh, There's nowhere to get any food. It's getting late. These people need to go away. And then here's this marvelous passage. I love this. I can't imagine the look on the disciples' face when they said that and Jesus responded with this. You give them something to eat. Now, they have nothing. Uh, Earlier in Luke, it says that Jesus told them to go, and when they went, not to take a tunic, not to take anything extra with them, just go, 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 because they would be dependent on the people they were ministering to to provide for their immediate needs. So Jesus sent them out ill-equipped on purpose for a lesson about community and dependence. Now they're out in this remote place. They have nothing, and Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, what? what we, how are we going to, for 5,000, we can't go buy food for 5,000, and it would take us forever to get from a remote place back here. But you understand it was never Jesus's understanding that they would provide food themselves. 
He was making the point that you and I often forget. We are powerless to do the things that need to be done. But God himself will do it. He will do it through us. He'll do it for us. And so Jesus then says, break them up into groups of 50, manageable groups of 50. And so we've got what? 500 groups of 50? That's a lot of people. That's 5,000 plus. Did I do that right? Did I do the math right? 50 groups of, no. 100 groups of 50. That's what I meant to say. I didn't write it down. Did I tell you that I'm not very good at math? Before I lose you with my point. The passage says there's 5,000 what? Men. Now, this was customary. The word here is that there were 5,000 males, adult males. We believe that there were more because women and children are not included in that count. So it's at least 5,000. And the disciples have been called upon to provide, provide food for this crowd. We can't do it. Jesus breaks them up into those small groups, those crowds, those dinner groups. Can we call them dinner groups? And imagine the curiosity of the 12 when they're like, what is he going to do? And a boy, we're told, has some fish and a little bit of bread. And Jesus looks up to heaven and he models this elsewhere. It reminds us of the Lord's Supper and his provision for his people. And there is this miraculous feeding of the 5,000. And they are fed, they are provided to the point of satisfaction. They are full. Even though there was nothing to offer them, they are now full. And that's the way to the miracle that we should feel. We should feel that, wow, Jesus really is a host. When he wants to be a host, he can provide all that is needed. Rosaria Butterfield, who is a name I've quoted before, and some of you have read her books. One of her books that I value greatly, and I'm going to quote from several times this morning, is The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And the imagery is exactly what you would think it is, that, that the true gospel, the story of Jesus, and as it's offered to people, it comes with a house key, which means it comes with a, a welcome in my space, in your space. The gospel comes with a, where we are to gather together even in our homes and you are a welcome recipient to come to that invitation. Here's one of her quotes uh, that I wanna highlight this morning as it relates to hospitality. She says, those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged, the foreigner. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. And I wonder if this morning, if we can start to see that as a part of our own job description as a church, uh, that our events, our activities, the things we do, that they come with a house key for us to offer Greater Greenwood, your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends, that they really are welcome here. 
That we really want this to be a place where they can come and hear the truth of Scripture and be welcomed and find community, a community of God's people, a community of God's Word. So the gospel comes with a house key, and it should be true for you and for me. And then thirdly, what we see here in this Luke chapter 9, feeding of the 5,000, is a ministry of God at work. It is evident that God is at work here. This is not the disciples at work. This is not the church at work. This is Jesus, the Lord of the church, at work. And through His power, He has demonstrated that He can achieve His purposes through our weaknesses and through our empty pockets. He can accomplish His purposes, whatever they are, to the point of His people being satisfied, of having full bellies, so to speak. Again, Rosaria Butterfield in her same book says this, Let God use your home, your apartment, your dorm room, your front yard, your community, your gymnasium, or your garden for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Because that is the point. Building the church and living like a family, the family of God. I want you to think about that this morning. You might say, well, I've looked at Southern Living Magazine, and I don't have a dining room. Um, I don't have a nice living room. I don't have a nice porch. I don't have a nice patio. But you've got something. It's you, and it's time. And it could be a walk in the park with someone that you practice hospitality with. It could be a trip to Walmart or to the grocery store. It could be a trip to the coffee shop. Whatever you have that occupies, uh, occupies time in your week that you enjoy, you could consider overlapping that with somebody and, and making it a ministry, quite frankly. I used to talk to our students at Erskine like this. Students don't have money, right? They have more time than they think, um, but they don't have money and they don't have entertainment space. And so literally challenging them to invite to take other students on that trek to Walmart, that 20, 25 minute drive, or coming to Chick-fil-A and sitting in Chick-fil-A. Those, those became ministry avenues for college students, ministering to college students. And so I would say the same thing to us. It may not be a, a nice big meal that you can practice hospitality with. It might be pour over coffee or your great-grandmother's fudge recipe that you want to share with a few people that you met at GPC or maybe even with some neighbors that you're getting to know. Whatever it is, it can be redeemed for hospitality and for ministry. It really can. Uh, just about a year ago or two years ago, um, I was uh, a friend of mine was selling teapots. I may have told you this story. A, a friend of mine was selling teapots on, on Facebook. And I, I saw that and I said, well, wait a minute. I've got a bunch of, of girls at Erskine that are graduating or close to graduation. How many teapots do you have? And it was about 20. He had more than that. I think I bought 20 of them. And, and I armed our upper-class girls with teapots. And those teapots came with a charge. Don't just let the teapot sit and look pretty. 
in your home for the rest of your life. But wherever you go, whatever neighborhood you wind up in, you're armed with a teapot to throw a little tea party, to gather some girls, to gather some friends, make some tea. It doesn't have to be good tea, but you be the initiator that brings people together, right? It starts at what could become a small group or a fellowship group. Now, I've not yet heard stories back from the ministry of teapots. I'm waiting to get those. But you hear the idea. Anything can be ministry. Going to the gym, going to coffee, going for a walk. But if God's people aren't pushed to think that way, we'll go to the gym by ourselves. We'll go to coffee by ourselves. We've got plenty of other things we need to be doing. But something's got to slow us down and say, wait a minute, could this be harnessed to be a ministry that could be for the furtherance of the kingdom? You hear what I'm saying? So here's my thought. God is the ultimate host who through creation has hosted all of His people into His earth and lavished us with all the abundance of resources that the earth knows. And humanity has done good with that and humanity has done harm with that. But that's what God the Father has done as a host. And God the Son as a host the host of redemption who models even in the feeding of the 5,000 what he would do in looking up to heaven and offering himself for his people as the true bread of heaven. He is the host of redemption and calls all who would come to him by faith to come to what will be the wedding feast of the Lamb. Amen? These are the images of Scripture. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit organizing and orchestrating all of that. But what's the role of the church? The ordinary Joe, the ordinary Jill. Is it not to mimic as a disciple God the Father and God the Son in being generous hosts, in sharing and giving of what we have to pull people together to form a little community? to create some fellowship, to make life better. And there are two ways we can do that. And I'm fixing to press on you pretty hard. So listen to this application. There are two kinds of fellowship that you and I should be initiating. Number one is fellowship with each other within the church. I have, I'm aware in the past year, it's three or four times. How do I say this and it not sound negative? It's true. I don't want it to sound negative. Here, I'll just do it this way. Our women know each other. Our men don't. And I've, I've been studying this. So here's how it has played out. I'm convinced that on Sunday mornings, men are pretty much like this. And this is true of me. We walk by each other at GPC. You know, we're only here right before the service, maybe for Sunday school, 9.30 a.m., be here for Sunday school. Um, or right after church. It's not a whole lot of overlap time. And men walk by each other, and what do they do? What's up? And they keep walking, right? What's up? How are you? Our women will stop and visit. And then our men, maybe, I don't know, they go out to the car and wait. Children go out to the car and wait. So we don't really know each other. Um, we've had people who've been going to this church for seven-plus years together, who have met and exchanged names at Pickleball on Wednesdays. And I saw that and I was like, our people don't know each other. 
which is another reason to why we're having the men's fellowships, right? Let's get the awkward out of the way, have some food, get the, get the know each other part out of the way so that we can uh, see each other on Sunday morning and say more than, what's up? Now we can say, did you see the ball game last night? Right, I at least have a little small talk. So men struggle with, most men struggle with small talk. Not all men. But we've got to know each other somehow. So one kind of fellowship we need is to know each other in the same room, right? Another kind of fellowship I want to push is knowing your neighbors, the ones who don't go to church. Your unchurched neighbors and co-workers, the people who are at the gym at the same time as you, the cashier at Walmart who you see three times a month, maybe the lady who cuts your hair. Um, these are people that we should show some sense of generous hospitality towards. Now that's for you to figure out how and if and when and where. But if we're not pushed to do this, I'm, I'm just convinced I'm too busy to ever do it. Always got something else to do. I got a septic tank to dig up. I got a house to crawl under, right? I could explain away hospitality for the next 10 years. Or we could pull out great, great, great grandma's fudge recipe, which isn't really a thing. Uh, but we could say that it is and invite people and they'd be excited to come and have it and then find out it was from Walmart, right? <laughs> be creative, be fun. Use your children, invite their friends into your home. Find ways to gather people and be a relationship-building person for the good of the kingdom, the furtherance of the kingdom. There's all kinds of way. I, had, I met yesterday with an elderly couple, friends from the past. Uh, they're now shut-ins in Greenville. And they told me that their church started a Koinonia Fellowship. I said, what's Koinonia Fellowship? They said, well, it's a ministry to shut-ins. Some of the younger ones get together and they'll make baked goods or get the children to make little arts and craft items. And then they deliver it. And they just have a chance to visit for a few minutes while they are visiting these things. And they said, you know, we didn't ever think we'd appreciate shut-in ministry because we didn't ever think we'd be shut-ins. But now getting something from little kids in the church that says that they're praying for us and they remember us, it helps an awful lot when you're shut in. Fellowship. Somebody took initiative and was creative and said, let's harness our little ones and put it into redemptive hospitality. So I don't know for you, but here's my challenge and I'll finish. I feel like I've gone too long. What if? What if we said, all right, dinner's for six. Dinner's for eight. It's a thing. Now go make it happen. Grab a couple or two from GPC that you know already that you have good chemistry with and grab a couple or two that you don't. And you have to go up to them, invite them and say, hey, you don't know me, but we're having people over to lunch next Sunday and we would love for you to be there. And then what if those dinners for six or eight, if a bunch of people did it, maybe it's hot dogs, maybe it's hamburgers, whatever, whatever it is you want to do. A year from now, if dinners for six Dinners for eight was normal. If it was a culture in our church, how many strangers who visit would be like, wow, that didn't take long to get invited. But it just takes a little encouragement, right? 
So would you go home and find that special dessert recipe that your kids would be thrilled for you to make? And think about, okay, we just had almost 40 people in a new members class two or three weeks ago. Did you know that? Almost 40. We have about 25 communicants in our luncheon today. All of those are free game to invite. Invite their families. Uh, meet outside if it's good weather. Meet in your home if, it'll, if they'll fit. But what if we pushed ourselves to practice a little bit of intentional hospitality? And if God, in our mimicking him as a great host, sought to use that to grow our church. One more quote, one story, and we're done. Russ Whitfield, who's a pastor in the PCA, tells this story. He says, imagine what it could look like if we embraced this kind of hospitality in our churches. What if supper clubs, potlucks, and parties proved to be effective in our mission and ministry as an expression of our faith in a generous God? And if that deeply resonates with our neighbor, what if many of our own neighbors begin their journey to the Lord's table with a start at our own tables? Do you hear what he's saying? What if we practice being a host and use our tables to lead them to the true host and his table? That's the vision that I'm trying to cast. That's what I think you and I should consider. Now, why? Okay, this is the finish. I want to leave you with two images this morning. One visual, one verbal. The first image, these are two very different images. The first is Vladimir Putin, of all things. Have you seen this picture? What we have there is what has been described in the media recently as a very long table. And I was, as I was preparing on hospitality and these thoughts about hosting and being generous and welcoming and loving, that picture in the news all week just stood out to me. What you see there is what's been called the display of power. What I see is a lonely man. He's a wealthy man, but he's a lonely man. That is as opposite of the Lord's table of an image as you could imagine. He's got power, he's got wealth, he's got ability, but it's an image of a man who says, you are far from me, and I sit here alone. And there are no other dining chairs there, there's no feast there. That's about an, as opposite of an image of the Lord's church and of Christian hospitality as I could imagine. But then I'll close with this, a verbal image. Jesus, 5,000 people hungry, tired people, broken up into groups of 50, apparently 100 groups of 50, given more bread, more fish than they can eat to the point that broken pieces, leftovers, are put in 12 baskets. And all of that images, who is this Jesus that he can provide more than we need out of nothing had. There's something to him, this host of all hosts, who is so generous, so giving to his people's needs. We want to practice hospitality because of that one true host who has loved us so well. 
Let's pray that would be true of us. Father, that is our prayer, that you would work in us uh, less selfishness, maybe less southern culture of self-affirming practice, and a whole lot more of thinking of others, loving others, wanting to hear and know their story, wanting to share with them the abundance in our cupboards and in our freezers. So Lord, would you do a special work of growing the seeds of hospitality in our church, making us welcoming and loving, making us even grow numerically because of the practice of hospitality, but not just for numbers. Lord, we pray for the spiritual health and growth of the kingdom. And we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.